lecture five part one of the endowments of man by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture five self and conscience part one of all the mysteries of human nature this is the most strange that a man should not only be ignorant of himself but that he should not care to know himself if he neither loved himself nor took any interest in himself his indifference about the knowledge of himself would be intelligible but this is what is so mysterious in human nature that the more a man loves himself the less he cares to know himself yet with respect to all persons and things except ourself the more we love them the more we delight to know and understand them that we may constantly strengthen our affection with fresh discoveries and new motives but we still everywhere meet with this singular exception that self-love has no zeal for self-knowledge why does our zeal for ourselves awaken so much of our love and so little of our understanding the very question brings a smile upon the face and in that smile there is a silent irony that penetrates to the malady from which this contradiction springs for what we are slow to see in ourselves we are quick to see in others and could we but see ourselves through their eyes and with their independent judgment we should hasten with the confusion of shame to rectify the failings which others see in us though we do not so different is the image we frame in our imagination of what we are from our real presentation as seen by other eyes but unhappily self-love is the most jealous sensitive and vindictive of all feelings and our best friends and most devoted superiors to whose wisdom and prudence we readily entrust our other interests are apt to offend and lose their influence with us when they make the hazardous attempt to give us some knowledge of ourselves the conclusion is obvious there must be some grave disorder in the conditions of a love that shrinks from knowing the subject of that love something in our nature must be off its balance and there must be a vital error somewhere causing us to wrap our self-love in self-ignorance for we have the ominous instinct and apprehension that a better knowledge of oneself would bring pain with it and shame to our self-love and a demand for its sacrifice that we are unwilling to make the chief obstacle to self-knowledge therefore is this very self-love which stands self-condemned in the very act of resisting knowledge yet all love of oneself is not thus condemned as we shall afterwards see for there is a love of self that seeks in all humility the true knowledge of oneself and of what we stand in need we are only speaking here of that vicious self-love which is the great deformity of the soul 
it must however be admitted that even they who sincerely seek to know themselves find it no short or easy task as we have no direct view of our own features but can only see them as reflected in a mirror so we have no direct view of our own soul but can only see her as she is reflected in her operations our mental eye is in this respect like our corporal eye being the foremost faculty of the soul it cannot see what is behind it unless in some reflecting medium brought before the mind as our features are no direct object to our eyes our soul is no direct object to our mind no subject is its own object but is made for something greater and better and that something better is its object had we been made for ourselves we should doubtlessly have been so made as to have the direct view of ourselves but this is a decisive proof that we are not made for ourselves that we have not this direct and objective perception of ourselves the glass in which we see ourselves is no part of us it is something quite distinct from us and there we see ourselves by reflection the light in which we see our soul is not only something different from what we are but is something greater than what we are in which we see ourselves reflected what is the knowledge of oneself but the true and just perception of our own measures and manners but this requires a true and just standard of measurement how can we see what we are unless we can see what we are not and what we ought to be how can we see our defects from order except in a law of perfect order how can we see our deformity except in a light of perfect beauty if the soul has not got a mirror says saint bernard she cannot know herself the pure and spotless mirror of the soul is the conscience in the conscience is the light and law of god and the whole order of moral beauty and unless the eye is vitiated with self-love or defiled with sensuality when we view ourselves reflected in that mirror we are able to see ourselves and take the measure of what we are whilst men are keen upon their interests their mental pursuits or pleasures these various occupations sharpen their faculties but increase the difficulties of self-knowledge for much of the charm of these pursuits consists in taking the man away from himself and in causing him to forget himself when he is absorbed in business study or pleasure the man is said to be preoccupied an expressive term which indicates that he is drawn out of himself and set on the things before him how can we reconcile this love of pursuits external to the man with a predominant love of self the fact is that self-love finds its nourishment in those very things that are outside the man 
and that take him from himself this however requires explanation if man were his own good the knowledge and love of himself would be the sources of his happiness in that case solitude would not be his trial but his delight for the more he were alone with himself the more he would enjoy himself what greater proof can there be that man is not his own good than his fear of solitude why has he such a dread of solitude why does he think a solitary life unnatural why has he such a horror of having nothing but himself to think of and to live upon to the ungodly man the most terrible of punishments is to be shut up in a lonely cell and to be thrown upon himself as his one and only resource when placed in unbroken seclusion unless he be a holy man who lives in converse with god and with the spirits of the just made perfect the only question that remains is how long can he go on before he breaks down not merely in health but in mind and becomes an utter wreck so true is it that man was not made for himself the man who lives with god is never alone nay he is never less alone than when alone the things of time are of small importance to him in comparison with the things of eternity the realms of eternal truth are open to his mind god and his christ and the populated heavens are open and accessible to his heart he is never without resources that are incomparably greater than himself but to the man who loves nothing greater than himself to dwell alone with himself is wearisome and with time intolerable how then is this disgust and wearisomeness with self to be reconciled with all this love of self the fact is that no man really loves himself alone and as the one immediate object of his love he loves himself in a roundabout way through many things that he associates with himself and in which he reflects himself by associations and by an imaginative appropriation the actual self grows into many things by reflecting oneself into them which creates a fictitious and imaginary self that is not the real self we may compare this complex image of self with its grotesque exaggeration to those spectral images which the traveller sees of himself when with his back to the sun and the mists on the mountains before him he finds his figure reflected before his eyes in gigantic and misshapen proportions take away his surroundings strip his associations from him and you reduce him to himself put him into solitude or bring him to his deathbed and what he is not drops from what he is and he finds his veritable self he finds himself face to face with his conscience the witness not only of what he is but of what he ought to be 
when a man comes to his pure self and when that self is felt without anything intervening neither the sense of god nor the sense of other creatures nor even their images as distractions from oneself the taste of self is not pleasant it is a voidness and want and has a flavor of repulsive bitterness which led saint paul to say we have in us an answer of death that we should not trust in ourselves but in god who raiseth up the dead for though there is a certain life in our nature it is not the true life for which we were made and which we receive from god when we look to ourselves for good we find but the capacity for good and when we desert our true good we find ourselves empty and void when we look to our earthly associations for satisfying good to justify our self-love we find but disappointment because our true good is not less but greater than ourselves this is terribly exemplified and may be taken as a test trial in the so-called philosophical school of german pessimists rejecting god from themselves and from their minds rejecting him as their creator provider and final end and looking to themselves for a divinity in their own will they have proclaimed their sad experience that they find their human life to be a dreary waste and hopeless misery they have therefore raised the question whether life is worth living such is the life they have made for themselves and such is the life they find in themselves when a man can escape from its solitary nature by no other door he will take refuge in his imagination there he will paint scenes of life society and indulgence into which he may throw his feelings and exercise his self-love at will but if the burden of himself is too heavy for his fancy to relieve he broods on imaginary evils which still foster his self-love and sinks into melancholy melancholy may be truly called the black bile of self-love it is a state in which the soul is overshadowed and depressed with the sense of her own insufficiency whilst unwilling to rise up to better and more generous things the melancholy soul sits in the pool of her despondency and pines beneath the gloomy shadow of herself which overhangs her like a cloud the sentiment of melancholy works like a spell of enchantment to sadden the soul with imagined afflictions from which self-love fails not to extract the noxious nourishment that swells the soul with a conceit of worth overwhelmed by evil powers but let the hour of real affliction come and it will break the enchantment of self-love and destroy the pride of imaginary distress and if in this hour of visitation the soul turns to god and the severity of conscience brings her to the severity of repentance 
when she enters into the mercy of god she will no longer fear to be alone with god the deeply seated evils that cause god to be forgotten demand sharp and cutting remedies when god sends them in his mercy they not unfrequently come with a shock that lays open the whole interior condition of the soul like a flash of light through the darkness of the night giving a great self-knowledge with complete conversion the divine light pierces the depths of the soul the conscience inflicts its pangs the treacherous foundation on which self-love has rested the soul is exposed to view and it becomes equally visible that god alone is the solid firmament on which she can build securely there are other souls on the contrary and these are numerous who have no great depth of malignity nor yet of goodness who take things easily because they are never greatly troubled with a half and half allegiance to god and a half devotion to themselves somewhat spiritual and a good deal sensual they keep their inconstant souls in a state of vacillation move to and fro like a pendulum much on the same line of motion but never get down into that profundity of humility which ensures the real knowledge of ourselves what is that self of which so much is said and so little known self is the subjective man in that nature with which he was born into this world self is man's nature as taken apart from all that god does for him and from all that god provides for him self is our own individual personality as denuded of all that is not ourself as stripped of all that we receive and of all with which we are clothed whether in soul or body through the good provision of god be it light truth grace nurture or any good whatsoever to mind soul or body that god has given us saint paul brings us to ourself when he asks the question what hast thou that thou hast not received and if thou hast received why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received again he says to the man of faith you were darkness but now light in the lord your nature is dark god has given you light your sin made your nature darker god has given you greater light to expel the darkness of sin have you evil in you asks saint augustine that is from yourself have you good in you that is from god you have turned from yourself to god and by this conversion you have become light how were you made light god is light you were not light but sinful the old man was darkness if you are now light another has given you light do not imagine that you are light for that is the true light which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world when you were turned from god by your evil will you were darkness you are now light not light in yourself 
but light in the lord what have you that you have not received what is true of your light is equally true of every good that you have received whether for body or soul but as to yourself the prophet isaiah will tell you what you are behold you are from nothing and your work from that which hath no being but that we may know from whom we receive the better things the prophet introduces the almighty saying i am the lord thy god who take thee by the hand and say to thee fear not i have helped thee god makes our nature but our own will makes our character as the principle of human activity our will is the creation of god but the use of its power is our own the conduct of the will is the conduct of the man the conduct of the man forms the habits of the man and the habits of the man constitute his character the whole moral man is reducible therefore to the conduct of his will but the will of man is one thing and the objects on which he employs his will another in vain would be his will unless god gave objects to his will to bring its power into exercise as his own nature is the creation of god so whatever his will is employed upon is either god or the creation of god or the gift of god what has he then that he has not received or in what can he glory as though he had not received what attracts his will that he loves what repels his will that he disrelishes or hates my love says saint augustine is the weight that inclines me and to what my love inclines me to that i am carried what we chiefly love to that we mainly cleave and we take from it the color sentiment and character which saturate our life if our dominant love is to this world our love carries us into the world if our dominant love is to god our love carries us to god if our dominant love is to ourself we are not carried to self because there we are and there our will is but the will draws all things to self and through the magical delusion of imagination out of all we draw to ourself we construct a fictitious self and on that fiction we expend our love for this self-love builds in delusion the delusion entertains the will and the will is thus kept from seeking solid good whilst building delusion in its place for what we will that we love and what we love that we are as we become changed into the qualities of what we love this then is the just measure of ourself our own substance is as nothing because being is good and good is being but our good is not in ourself but in another since we are but the recipients of good 
we are only good in proportion as our will cleaves to a greater good which is not ourself god is our substantial good and therefore the psalmist says to god my substance is as nothing before thee in loving one's self rather than god we turn from light to darkness but as being is relative to light in diminishing our light we diminish ourselves listen to this profound truth as explained by saint augustine to be is to belong to light not to be is to belong to darkness whoever therefore deserts his creator inclines to that nothingness out of which he was created and by this very sin he is darkness yet he is not so darkened as utterly to perish but he descends to things that are low and vile what is content but the fullness of our capacity for containing if man were his own object and an object sufficient for himself he ought to be always full always content why then is he always in want of greater light why is he in such need of so many things why has he such great desires and such little content what signify those sighs and yearnings for something better than he is why those incessant wanderings abroad of his mind and heart in search of what he cannot find at home the natural man has not that far insight into all he wants that is open to the man of faith but even the natural man when he examines himself sees clearly that he is insufficient for his own content let us hear this natural man plato says that all sin comes from too much self-love cicero observes that nature loves nothing solitary but always clings to something else for support seneca perceives that though man is born for virtue he is not born with virtue and he exclaims oh how contemptible a thing is man except when he rises above human things sentences like these sound like distant echoes from the inspired psalmist contemplating man in the light of god behold thou hast made my days measurable or as in the hebrew text but a hand's breadth and my substance is as nothing before thee and indeed all things are vanity every man living surely man passeth as an image yea and he is disquieted in vain he storeth up and he knoweth not for whom he shall gather these things and now what is my hope is it not the lord and my substance is with thee if the pride that breaks out of self-love into conscious egotism could make a man sufficient for himself it would necessarily follow that the higher a man ascends in pitch of pride the more he will be sufficient for himself let us put this to a simple test intelligible to all men who knows not that the proudest are the shallowest of men 
who in his sober senses fails to see that the operation of self-sufficiency is an assumption that reveals the hollow condition of the soul if it were not the most painful it would be the most ridiculous of human exhibitions offensive when displayed in arrogance to men it is revolting when displayed in impiety towards god but as the operation of man's self-sufficiency however smooth the words however philosophical the terms however ostensible the argument is reducible to nothing but boasting from beginning to end it is simply ridiculous the more pride a man reveals the more evident to all beholders becomes the absence of mental and moral solidity great pride in the judgment of sober men is nearly allied to mental derangement and it is no uncommon thing for it to break out into open madness as our lunatic asylums too often bear witness for excessive pride is a kind of intoxication that terribly strains the powers of nature as it works with violence against the just order of nature and therefore against its tranquillity and when men in the humour of false philosophy abstract their minds from god and attempt to construct the subjective man into a self-sufficing being they little understand the desolating effects of their reveries upon the minds of weak men already too apt to assert their self-sufficiency end of lecture five part one